0: Hello and welcome to another episode of the Sojourners in the Storm Bible Study. Um, today we have reached the uh, last few verses in First John chapter 2. So we'll be going over chapter 2, verse 24 through 29 today. Um, I hope that these messages are finding you wherever you're at. I hope that they are strengthening your walk. Um, for some of you that are hearing maybe the word of God for the first time, I pray that this is... Um, leading you to the Lord, um, you know, we, 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 God doesn't ask much. All He asks is for your heart. And so, um, with that, guys, um, I hope that you guys are, are finding these things. I hope that they're useful. I hope that they're, you know, they're building us up in our faith, that we are helping us to live boldly as we go out in the marketplace that is the world today and, uh, you know, interact with the world. You know, guys, uh, they, we live in a very peculiar time and, um, there's no better time ever than the present, no matter what day and age you're in, than to know the Lord. You know, if tomorrow is not promised, uh, you know the next day, the next day, whatever, you know, it's good to know the Lord here, now, and today. And so with that, guys, let's get started with a word of prayer. Um, Father God, Lord, I pray that you would just go before us today, Lord, and, and all those that are listening out there or watching on, on Rumble, Father, I pray that this would be a blessing to everybody that's out there that's seeking you, Lord, that's seeking your face, that's seeking a closer walk with you. Father, I pray that you would just use me as your vessel, Lord. Uh, You know, if you can use the jawbone of a donkey, Father, I pray that you would just use me today, Lord. Um, Father, I pray as we come humbly into your presence, that you would just lead the way. Fill us with your Holy Spirit, Lord. Help us to uh, learn and to understand. Father, I thank you, and we ask you these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, so like I stated before, we are in chapter 2, and we're going to start with verse 24 today of the epistle of 1 John. And so what we're going to look at are the five features of a believer. And you know, today's world is based on features, right? Every time we go out into the stores, every time we go out um, to buy a new TV, for example, we look at the features of that TV. We're looking at the screen size. We're looking at how many HDMI ports does it have. What kind of stuff can I plug into this thing? Is it a smart TV? Can I get apps on it? Um, If we go out and we are shopping for, let's say, an SUV, right? We're looking at how many rows of seating are in this thing. What's the gas mileage like? What kind of radio does it have? What kind of seats does it have? What are the features of it? Can it go off-road? Does it have goat mode? Um, Everything that... We look for has some type of feature. Even the ice in our glass of water, it, it, it's got features, right? Is it cold? Is it frozen? Is it solid? Is it still in between, where it's a little flaky and a little watery? Um, we're checking for those features. Now, the same thing goes for us in our faith. Our faith has features. We have features as believers. But uh, you know, what those features do is they exemplify us. They exemplify our faith. And we actively live out those features in our lives. We are identified by those features because they make us who we are. The features of a cow, uh, like a car and a truck, for example, are different in several ways and help us identify them and help us tell the difference between them, right? A car does not have a truck bed, but a truck has a bed. It's taller, it's longer, it's heavier. Uh, you know, the features of a Christian and the features of a non-believer, are going to be different in the way we walk, in the way we, we live our lives, and our mannerisms, and our speech, in our um, in our beliefs, obviously. And, um, you know, in how we handle situations, those features all come into play. You know, in this chapter, uh, you know, John gives us five different ways that we can apply what we believe into our lives and confirm our faith by them. And, you know, it, it's one thing for us, To have these features, it's a special thing. Because in these features, what we have done is we have taken a look at our lives, we have realized that we've had sin, and we have asked forgiveness and we're moving away from that. Whereas the world understands that they have sin, or doesn't accept that they have sin, and they stay in it. It's like seeing a sick person that realizes that they're really sick and that they should do something about it, but doesn't want to do anything about it. Where another person would see that they're really sick, understand that there is a cure for it, and goes out and actively seeks that cure, and works along the lines to get better, right? That's kind of what we're doing here. And so with that, let's look at the five different ways that we can identify the features in our lives and use them as a means of growth in our spiritual walks. So starting with uh, <clears throat> 1 John chapter 2, verse 24, it says, Therefore, let that abide in you which you heard from the beginning. In which you heard from the beginning of... Uh, If what what you heard from the beginning abides in you, you also will abide in the Son and in the Father. So our first point here is A, living an obedient life based on the gospel of Christ. Okay, we as believers believe in one way to God, through the substitutionary death of Jesus on the cross. There is no other way for a man to be saved. And so we hold on to that with all our might the world has tried time and time again to change that to add to it to take from it but we believe that there is no other way we believe in the apostles doctrine now when i say the apostles doctrine i don't fully uh... i'm not saying that we completely believe in just a bunch of facts and statements that have been made but we have a faith that's centered on those historical facts and the fact that those facts and stories are verifiable by eyewitness testimony of the apostles themselves. You know, we believe that the truth of the events that took place 2,000 years ago are still fully relevant today, and that we hold to that belief. We must be believers, and we must be conservative as believers in our beliefs, in that what we have learned from the beginning is always and will be always the truth no matter how the world changes around it you know we talked last time about how some of the apostate churches are changing to accommodate the world's way of thinking and deviating from the truth now this is a very dangerous act now it's called in many circles progressive christianity now i know it as process theology just the other name that it goes by the fact is that it's one and the same and what it is it's the belief that the world as the world changes the church or Christianity should change as well. Now, what that way of thinking does is it dilutes the gospel as a means of welcoming in a broad group of individuals that uh, that are seeking something and finding something, but that are uh, that something that they're finding is not always the truth. You know, it's a lie called the truth and masquerading as the truth as a means of growing a following. You know, in a world that is overcome with the need for numbers, likes, followers, etc., um, the apostate church is overcome with the need for people in seats, for numbers. But how many of those people that are coming in and getting a false gospel, that are getting the, uh, the name it and claim it, that are getting the everybody goes to heaven, it doesn't matter what you do, uh, that are getting the once saved, always saved theology, how many of those people are actually saved? You know, how many are actually getting a solid dose of living water out of the Bible from the speakers that are are shaping a message to appease the feelings of the congregants to keep them coming instead of using the word to convict the entirety of the group for growth and edification? You know, for me, sometimes, you know, when I go to church and my pastor is talking, you know, and sometimes he says something that, you know, it comes right out of the Word, and he explains it, and he says, like, man, if you're doing this, this is sin, and, you know, it convicts you, and as the kids say, it it gets right up in your feels, and you're just like, man, I got to change what I'm doing right here. That's what we need. That's what the gospel is. The gospel is removing our sin from us to change us, right? We believe that Jesus died on the cross for us, and that when we accept that, when we give our life to Him, when we ask Him for forgiveness of our sins, He removes those sins from us. But we live a lifetime after that of purging those sins from us. That's what the trials, that's what the tribulations, the temptations, that's what they're all about. They're constantly removing sin from us. And God is working through those things to work work through us. Now I think it's also very important for us as believers, it doesn't matter if you've been saved for two weeks or 20 years or 50 years or whatever you know how many times do you go back and think about that first simple truth how many times do you go back and think and say you know what man? Jesus died for me I might have just totally totally just dumped the marbles right now but you know what Jesus died for me I can ask him forgiveness I can go to the throne of grace he's gonna forgive me but I've got to change my ways and I've got to go back to it right That's what it means to abide in the Lord, to be of one accord with Him. You know, we are all sinners, and sin divides us from God. We need to repent, and we need to come back when we do those things. We are given that opportunity through the death and the resurrection of Jesus Christ alone. You know, when we make that commitment in our lives, our lives are no longer ours. We move away from sin and live a life that abides in Christ. In uh, the Gospel of John, chapter 15, verse 10 and 11, it says, If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in His love. These things I have spoken to you, that my joy may remain in you, and that your joy may be full. Now, going back and looking at that premise, uh, we are to make changes in our lives. We are to forsake the ways of the world. The ideas of men to live for God, to abide in God's love. To abide means to accept or act in accordance with. You know, we accept God's way over our own and act in accordance with it. And thus, it leads us to a closer, more intimate relationship with God as our thoughts become like His and we get closer to Him. And the more we abide in Christ, the more we begin to trust in His promises. And the closer and the more we, you know... The more we trust in those promises, the more we abide, the closer we get to Him, the more blessed our walk is going to be. Because we're going to see things that we didn't see before. We're going to see the blessings in the trials. We're going to see the blessings and the temptations in all those different situations that come through. You know, when we overcome something, man, our praise is going to be crazy good. Because we're looking at God and we're saying, man, you got me through that. You pulled me through that. You know, through a, you know, it's like a whale going through a straw, but you got me through that, God. How great are you? And there's there's none greater, you know? If we abide in him, if we follow his way rather than our own, it's going to be tough at first, but man, it's going to be easy later when we learn to actually really live that. And you know, his promises, his promises are great. You know, he doesn't promise us an ice cream sundae on Sundays. What he promises us is the big time stuff. Take a look at verse 25 in 1 John chapter 2. It says, and this is the promise that he has promised us. Eternal life. So let her be living with the hope of eternal life. Another feature of the Christian life. Living with the hope of eternal life. Think about that. When we were created, we were created with the purpose of a relationship with God. Now, unfortunately, our sin had kept us apart from that relationship until we chose to accept God's love through Jesus and pursue that relationship with God. When we make that decision in our earthly life, we also make a decision concerning our celestial life as well. You know, hope is something that comes with faith. Hope is, is an expectation or a desire for things that are to come. Our hope as believers, our expectation is based on the promise of eternal life, as promised by Jesus. Let's take some look at some, uh, a look at some scriptural examples. John chapter 6 verse 53 through 58 says, Then Jesus said to them, Most assuredly I say to you, Unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you have no life uh, in you. Whoever eats my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life, and I will raise him up at the last day. For my flesh is food indeed, and my blood is drink indeed. He who eats my flesh and drinks my blood abides in me, and I in him. As the living Father sent me, and I live because of the Father, so he who feeds on me will live because of me. This is the bread which came down from heaven, not as your fathers ate the manna and are dead. He who eats this bread will live forever. In John chapter 10, verse 27 and 28, it says, My, sh- my sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me, and I give them eternal life, and they shall never perish. Neither shall anyone snatch them out of my hand. In First John chapter 5, verse 11, it says, This is the testimony that God has given us eternal life, and this life is in his Son. He who has the Son has life. He who does not have the Son of God does not have life. These things I have written to you who believe in the name of the Son of God, that you may know that you have eternal life, and that you may continue to believe in the name of the Son of God. You know, Going back and looking at some of these verses, we understand that Jesus was talking about not his literal, not us literally eating his flesh and blood, but having communion with him. You know, we observe a communion with Jesus when we take the bread and the grape juice in church uh, or in our own prayer time, right? Have you ever gone out into the woods or something and just to a quiet place and prayed and poured out your soul and just took the elements and just thought about Jesus, you know? And it's awesome. I, I encourage you to do that if you've never done that. But well, what he's talking about is he's talking about a fellowship with him. He's talking about being in accordance with him. About taking him in. Making him a part of you. Right? Because we, we, we should be a part of Jesus. He should be a part of our lives. The biggest part of our lives. You know, he should be our first, last, and only thought sometimes. Because, you know, his way is always the better way. His way is what saved us. Nothing else on this planet can save us. Only Jesus you know eternal life comes with the knowledge of the Father the acceptance, the forgiveness of sins through the Son and an act of communion with God through the Holy Spirit you know our hope and our expectation of our walk with God is eternal life and if we know anything about God his word is uh, it is what it is and he does not make false claims if he says it's going to happen it's going to happen that's why there's so much prophecy in the Bible so we can go back and we look at those things and we say, oh, look, there's going to be a war at this time or someplace. You know, if, if you really want to see some crazy stuff, there's uh, the, the book of Daniel in the Old Testament. It, so many prophecies in there. There's one chapter there, I think it's chapter 10 or 11, where, I, I mean, there's over 150 prophecies in that chapter that had already taken place. It was crazy. You go back to people like Cleopatra, each person is verified. When God says something's going to happen, it's going to happen. It's just a matter of time. That's all there is to it. You know, eternal life is a promise and a destination to the believer. Therefore, we must live boldly with the expectation of eternal life, being granted when earthly life ends, when we leave the tent for the house, when we are no longer sojourners of this world, but residents of heaven. Think about that. We are not of this world, man. We are called to a different place. We're not in our home yet. We're waiting to go home. And Jesus is going to take us home when our day comes. You know, I find it impossible to have joy in life without anything to look forward to. You know, with Jesus we have the ultimate goal of a comfortable eternity by faith and commitment to our Lord Jesus Christ. No other claim can promise eternal life the way Jesus can. We We do not have to die in a jihad in order to get into heaven. Uh, you know, we don't have to live multiple lives in order to get things right like the Eastern religions teach. Only to reach nirvana, which means nothingness, you know, there's no works or steps. It's just faith. We just believe. And you know what? It makes us even more, it makes it even more easy to believe when you really get into the Word and see all the things that He said were going to happen happen. And you just sit there and you understand. It's like, man. This is going to happen. I mean, there's no ifs, ands, or buts about it. The Lord said it's going to happen. He said we're going to have eternal life. We're going to have eternal life. When he told the thief on the cross that uh, today he's going to be with him in paradise, man, that thief inherited eternal life that day. He's up there right now into eternity. 2,000 years later, he's going to be there. You know, we might not be um, infinite like God is. We are finite. We have a beginning, but we have no end. And when we choose the right path, when we choose Jesus, when we choose to be in accordance with Him, you know, our lack of an end is so much better when we are in heaven and aside from uh, being in hell. You know, Uh, know, eternal life is for all of us, each and every one of us. But we have to decide in this life, am I going to accept Jesus and live for Him, change my life and purge my life of sin? Or am I going to keep going the way I'm going? Live for the world. Live for the things that are, you know, the easy way out and end up in hell. You know, I promise you it's not a party. It's not like the movies. It's not like, uh, you know, the rock and roll bands like to make it sound. It's not going to be a good thing. And so I encourage you, choose the Lord, right? Abide in Him because that promise is real and that promise is going to come true. And we just got to wait for it. Verse 26. These things I have written to you concerning those who try to deceive you. But the anointing which you have received from him abides in you, and you do not need that each, that anyone teach you. But as the same anointing teaches you concerning all things, and is true, and is not a lie, and just as it has taught you, you will abide in him. So let us see living with the truth of God above all else. You know, faith is trust. And when we trust God and trust the truth of God wholly and completely, we have no desire to make any changes uh, to it. John is warning about the false teachers, teaching new theology to believers. You know, the Antichrist that were and still are sowing seeds of division for the tr- uh, of the truth. You know, we must be on guard at all times. Because the doctrines of men are often added into the word when those men do not trust in the truth. You know, when doctrines of men are added, it brings division. If you look at, for example, the debate between Calvinism and Arminianism, and the divide between the two views of soteriology causes strife and division among the church, and what happens is the world outside, the curious or the, sieging, uh, the searching, are tempted, uh, turned away because those inside cannot seem to agree on what saves a person or how a person is saved. You know, this is why we must look at the biblical truth of all matters and have a solid and grounded understanding of each biblical doctrine as we go out and trade with the world. You know, we have an anointing. That means to have something applied to you. In our case, we have the Holy Spirit applied to our lives to teach us. Not only only is He applied to us, but He abides with us. That means we are under the authority of God through the Holy Spirit and therefore abide by what He teaches us and how He leads us. It means we have a life of study and communion with God through the Word and through prayer. We learn to be patient. Most, li- most importantly, test all things that are presented to us. You know, there are false doctrines around every corner. We have to be on our toes. In Ephesians chapter 4, verse 14, it says that we should no longer be children be tossed to and fro, and carried about with every wind of doctrine by trickery of men, in the cunning craftiness of deceitful plotting, but seeking the truth in love may grow up in all things unto him who is is the head, Christ. You know, we're always going to have men and teachers of the word, but those men and teachers must be tested. I also want to add that whatever we may learn in church or in a sermon cannot compare to what we learn by experience. We often find ourselves looking for the experience of others to live through when we, by the guidance of the Holy Spirit, need to be out living for the Lord and not just reading about it and what it's like. You know, we got to get out there and put our boots on the ground sometimes. we got to put hand to plow. We can only learn so much from others, but we ourselves need to have the trust in God enough to get out and experience trials and triumphs on our own. You know, in those experiences, we learn to trust and abide by the way of the Holy Spirit. It is where we glorify God by trusting in him, in him, in His example, in His leadership. You know, we do not get to heaven by any means of achievement. We get to heaven by trusting God. If we trust in God, we are going to trust in all that He has, uh, all that He says. When we do not trust in His Word, we call Him a liar, and God cannot lie. Take a look at Titus, verse, uh, chapter one, verse two. One of my favorite verses: In hope of eternal life, which God, who cannot lie, promised before time began you know our hope in going back to our last point is eternal life we must trust in his word and teaching because what he has taught us is true in every day and age and the more we lean on God to get us through situations in life the more we will learn to be dependent on him and the more we do that the more he is glorified you know our main objective in this life is to glorify God by trusting in God And we trust in God when we take His Word and apply it to our lives without any deviation from it. Verse 28. And now, little children, abide in Him, that when He appears we may have confidence and not be ashamed before Him at His coming. So, letter D. Living a life of perseverance in anticipation of Jesus' return. So, when we take the Word, and apply it to our lives, we begin a journey of perseverance. That means to be steadfast and to continue on no matter the difficulty that comes with the life. When we abide by Christ, we come to an understanding that things are going to happen, that we are going to have to persevere through some hard times. If we are going to stick uh, to the traits or the features of the Christian life, we are going to have to go through some stuff. We are identified as believers when we hold true to our convictions, even when it costs us greatly. We do not ever, uh, we do not ever, um, want to have the appearance of the visible church without the convictions of the invisible church. Now, remember, the visible church are those that we see going to church and claiming to, to live holy lives, but are living in the world and for the world, where. The invisible church are those that are giving themselves completely to God and abiding in the word, right? They're all mixed in. We can't tell the difference. The Lord's going to separate the wheat from the tares uh, later on, you know? But uh, you've got to make sure that we are the invisible church. We've got to make sure that we are those ones with the hearts to serve that are going out there in the highways, in the byways, that are, 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 are showing people the love of Christ, speaking about it, talking to people, witnessing to people. Um... You know, if we are living in anticipation of Jesus' return and at this point we are looking to the rapture of the church and Jesus calling us home, we need to be abiding in Christ, right? We need to be part of that invisible church. If we are not, when that moment comes, a person can find themselves in sin and be greatly ashamed at his coming. You know, when John says that we may have confidence, he is saying that we are not caught off guard. We are in a state of purification from the world. We are looking in anticipation to the day that we are called home. We have studied uh, for and are ready for the test, in other words. Where he, uh, whereas if we are slack concerning his return, if we are living for today and not for eternity, we may be caught on guard and in sin and thus be ashamed. You know, we must be vigilant because Jesus tells us he will come as a thief in the night when we do not expect it. You know, that time is for Him to know and us to find out. And so we have to be on our toes as believers. we got to be read up. We've got to be confessed up. We've got to be prayed up. Because the coming of the Lord is at hand. You know, remember, it's a promise. When He calls us up in the rapture, that's when eternal life, that's when eternity begins for us. You know, we have discussed those that believe that He's already come. Well, you know, we've discussed the preterists that believe that the, uh, that the events of Revelation and the second coming happened in the first century. But we know from looking at the description of the world uh, that is given to us in Scripture, that that has not yet happened Right? yet, right? We still see evil unleashed all the time. We still see all these bad things. You know, we take a look at Israel and what's going on right there. Nothing new, right? we got the Philistines going after the Israelis. And what happened? David takes a rock and puts down Goliath. Each and every time. It always happens over and over and over again. But, you know, there's evil around every corner. It's not just in the Middle East. It's not just in Asia or in Africa or in South America or uh, or, or North America or Australia or Antarctica. I think I got them all. Greenland. You know, it's ev- it's everywhere you know the evil is out there you know the devil goes about uh, searching to and fro like a a roaring lion seeking who he may devour right we've got to always be on guard Uh, you know he's definitely not bound in chains as scripture says we are you know but we are drawing to a close and so we must be ready I implore you guys we must be ready live for the Lord every day every hour every minute because we never know when he's going to come he could come right now. He could come tonight while we're asleep. He can come tomorrow when you're taking your first sip of coffee in the morning. He can come you know, when you're at work when you're having a bad day. He can come when you're at a stoplight and the guy in front of you won't go on a green. You know, and I hope you guys aren't those guys that honk on the green. Oh, man. You know, <laughs> uh, I, you know I hope he doesn't come when, when, when somebody's listening to this and I get to that point. But we've all been there, right? We all sin. We all fall short. That's why it's so important that we keep the Lord at the forefront of our minds. Be ready at all times. Confess when we sin immediately. We know what happened. You know, we don't have to go back and think about it. You know, 30 minutes later, or, or a day later, or whatever. We know what happened. Let's do it right away. You know, it, you know. If the hope of our future is tied up in eternity, we must prepare in the present for that. You know, there are so many people that fear death, and I get reasons like leaving your children behind. But many have a fear of what is going to happen to themselves after they die. You know, it always throws me off when Christians worry about their eternal destination. You know, and it makes you wonder if they ever really knew God in the first place. It seems like the confidence of the believer is tied to their understanding of God's plans for them in eternity. Again, confidence is trust, and trust is faith. If we have confidence in God's promises, we can live faithfully in the understanding that we will br- that he will bring us home when the time comes. Verse 29. If you know that he is righteous, you know that everyone who practices righteousness is born of him. So letter E, living a Christian uh, a Christ-like life through faith in Jesus Christ. Living a Christ-like life through faith in Jesus Christ. Another Uh, feature of the Christian life. You know, Jesus was the most moral and upright person that ever lived, that's ever walked this earth. His character exemplified God because He was God and is God. There is no standard above Him, no matter what the world says. We become His when we are participants in the second birth, the spiritual birth. In John chapter 3, verse 3, Jesus answered and said, to him most assuredly I say to you unless one is born again he cannot see the kingdom of God of course we know he was talking to Nicodemus the the teacher of teachers you know that the the main teacher in all of Israel a Pharisee uh, and and Jesus is explaining to him yeah great you grew up and you have this religion but you've got to be born again man you've got to be born of the spirit you've got to uh, you give your life wholly unto God it's not just rituals it's not just sacrifices uh, It's obedience that God's looking for. You know, we do this by taking our beliefs and making them our convictions. uh, And we then take our convictions and make them our practices. And those practices eventually become our nature, right? We all have bad habits that we try to break. And we try to break them by going over and, and actively going against what they are. Well, we can start good habits by going out there and actively pursuing those habits and making them a part of our lives. You know, we live a life of virtue by repentance from our sin nature and movement towards holiness that is a never-ending pursuit in our lives. We are constantly, we should constantly be looking in the Word. We should constantly be convicted by some sin, big or small, and making those changes in our lives, right? Because we never know who's watching us. We never know when that opportunity is going to come. We don't want to be caught in anything that we're not doing. We don't want to be found the hypocrite. We want to be those that are out there working on it. You know, if we believe that Jesus is the standard, we will strive to meet the standard. You know, we can never be both God and man, but we can work to be the man that he was. We work to be upright. We strive to be like him. Because in him is eternal life. Now think about that. God the Father. You know, who did Jesus reflect? He reflected God the Father, right? You know, and who should we reflect? Well, John R. W. Scott writes this. If you know as a fact that God is righteous, John says, then you're perceived as a logical consequence that everyone who does right has been born of him. The child exhibits the parent's character because he shares the parent's nature. A person's righteousness is this, uh, this the evidence of his new birth, not the cause or condition of it. Right? When we give ourselves over, when we have that spiritual birth, that new birth, well then, righteousness, morally, socially, uh, repentance, all that stuff falls in hand in hand. And it's not the result of it or a condition of it, it's because Jesus is rubbing off on us. Right? He's changing us. We're taking on those traits of Him. Or at least we should be. We're closing the character gap. Right? You know, the character gap between... Uh, Us and Jesus, we're always working on closing that. You know, sometimes it goes up and down, but we should always be closing that. Be working on that. Be more like Him, because those traits are going to come into us. The more we're in the Word, the more we're in prayer, the more we're studying, the more we're taking time and reflecting on what we read, the more we're going to pick those up, and the more we're going to work on those things. You know, the world may change the meaning of words or give a give its definition of morality from week to week. You know, but God's character and nature never change. To live a Christ-like life, it must be a loving life first and foremost. If Jesus loved the people that make up the world enough to die for them, we must love them just as much. You know, if he had compassion enough on the sinner to die to justify them, we must also have that type of compassion. We cannot just be about saying the right things, but about doing the right things. No, no deeds we do aside from those done in the name of the Lord will ever garner us any merit. But those done in the name of the Lord are those that glorify Him. Jesus performed miracles during His ministry that glorified the Father in heaven and not Himself. He did them as a reflection of God's love, not as a means of achievement. When we are born again of the Spirit, we reflect the same nature. You know, to be born again is to take on the characteristics of Jesus to do the right things for the right reasons. Many people do the right things for the wrong reasons, those being self-promotion. You know, what we do, we do for the Lord and not for ourselves. We have, as believers, traits and characteristics, ways of setting ourselves apart from the world while we are still in the world. You know, in the world, but not of the world. If we relent on our pursuit of holiness, we give up our characteristics. And our features instilled in us by the Lord. And become part of the world. You know I know it's hard sometimes. I know temptation is on every corner. I know what it's like to want to do things. To know you can. But that in doing them. You will hinder your walk and your progress. But we can take comfort in knowing. That we do have a common bond with Jesus. Who is our example. He went through these things. Take a look at Hebrews chapter 4 verse 15. It says for we do have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weaknesses, but was in all points tempted as we are, yet without sin. Let us, therefore, come boldly to the throne of grace, that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. You know, to live righteously is to live gracefully. To live with understanding that people around us, even ourselves, are going to fail from time to time. That we do not cast them out, but that we seek to restore those around us. If it were not for God's grace, we would have no uh, we would have no cross and thus no restoration. Grace is having mercy and understanding for others, not condoning sin but assisting in the repentance by it. You know being accountable to teach uh, to each other in the process helps. Now let's face it, we all fall short right? And when a brother or sister falls, we need to encourage them to stand back up. Stand back up. There will be times, though, that the world gets a hold of a person, and that person lets go of the Lord for the world. You know, it happens, but we still need to pray for them and be liked for them because the ultimate goal is always restoration. Even in church discipline, if somebody is put out for a, a sin that they don't want to repent for, and, uh, you know, the church puts them out, The goal is always restoration for them, right? We always still want to pray for them. We pray that they would repent. You know, we talk to them, we witness to them, and in hopes that they would come back. It's always restoration. We serve the God of the second chance, and the third chance, and the fourth chance, and the fifth chance. We serve the God of restoration. We serve the God that takes all the pieces and puts them back together and shines them up in gold plating. You know, there's no other God. No other God. In this universe, in all of creation, in all that exists, but this God. And you know what? Men can make up all the false gods that they want, but none, none will do what God, Yahweh God, Yeshua, the Holy Spirit, will do for us. You know, no matter what, though, our purpose and our goal is to know God and to make Him known. If we fail to do that, we fail as believers. And we have that shame that John tells us about. Now, my prayer is that we as believers continue on and abide in Christ because outside of His love and His protection lies a frigid world. You know, Jesus came and brought hope to the hopeless 2,000 years ago, and He still delivers today. We can use these features He has instilled in us as believers to show those that are still in the world a better way. If we truly love others the way Jesus loves us, we will do just that but it has to be done with love and compassion in truth and understanding that there is more than just this world. We've got to be steadfast. We've got to be ready to make sacrifice because sometimes it's required of us. With that, let's close. Father, thank you. Lord, thank you for your promise of eternal life. Father, thank you for assuring us, Lord, through all the prophecy and all, all these different chapters, all these different scriptures, Lord, All these things that came through, Lord, came true. Lord, your birth, how it took place, word for word, Lord, exactly how it was described thousands of years before it happened. Lord, your death on the cross. Lord, your resurrection. Father, and your return that we wait for. Father, we just thank you, Lord, that when you promise, you deliver. And Lord, we thank you for giving us these traits. We thank you for the trials. We thank you for the tribulations. We thank you for. The temptations, Lord, because you strengthen us through those. And, Father, there is none greater. Lord, uh, we just, sometimes you just can't help but stand there in awe and think about the God of the universe wanted somebody like me. And, Father, I just thank you for that, Lord. And I pray that anybody out there today that's listening, maybe for the first time, maybe hearing your word for the first time, Lord, that they would know that you love them. Father, that they would see your love coming through them more. Lord, that they would understand that you died for them more to take away their sins. That they would have that eternal life with you. Father, I pray that they would give their lives to you. Father, I pray that, that you know the lives would change, the situations would change and flip on their head. Lord. Lord, as you turn the world upside down, Father, I pray that more worlds would be turned upside down for you. Father, I just thank you and I ask you these things in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, guys, um, I hope this study was fine for you guys. I hope that it is helpful um, in for your growth and, uh, you know, possibly for your salvation. Um, you know, we will be back again next week. We'll start Chapter 3 of uh, 1 John, and so really looking forward to it. We're going verse by verse through this thing. I know it's a lot of different studies, but, you know, as the Holy Spirit leads, as a... Uh, as we go, you know, we're going to take it verse by verse. Who knows, we might even take one line one day or two words. That's how God teaches us, right? So uh, with that, you know, have a blessed week. Uh, we hope that you would uh, return again and, and keep listening as we go through this study and start another study afterwards. And You know, it's all about God. We've got to glorify God. We've got to know God. And we've got to find uh, those that don't know Him and show Him the way. God bless you guys, and we'll see you.